Welcome in, listeners. It's time for the Sunbuster Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, and our guest today is going to be Chris McConnell of the Roto Bros Podcast. On today's episode, we talk a little hard knocks, get into some running back tier rankings, and talk the NFC South. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partner, Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never ending quest to do better, be better, love harder and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their Nitro Cold Brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their Mammoth Blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their Hibiscus Teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code SLUMP, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. CavemanCoffeeCo.com, promo code SLUMP. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and get yourself a case today. All right, listeners, it's time for the episode. Chris McConnell, Juju Talk Sports, Slump Buster FFB. Let's get it. Let's bust a slump and let's enjoy. If you record it, they will come or hopefully they come. Hopefully they like download, subscribe, listen, because we've got a ton of fantasy advice here at Slump Busters. It is time for the Slump Buster Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, and my guest today is going to be Chris McConnell of the Roto Bros Fantasy Football Podcast. Been a long time since we had this gentleman on. Tons of great knowledge, and I'm happy to have you back. Chris, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing wonderful. Uh, it is. I, I before we came on here, I'm sitting here watching the preseason games, and so it's it feels right. Life is back together, baby. I love it. Oh, I'm so excited, man! Like this is this is my time of the year right here. So we're getting cranked up. Uh, got a lot of great stuff, and uh, sounds like we got a pretty good show. So I'm looking forward to jumping right in, man. As someone who really likes Dynasty and really loves these rookies, I can imagine having preseason back is really a great experience for you because obviously we missed out on that last football season. We didn't have an opportunity to really see those guys shine. And preseason, I think it's actually important, especially for what we do here, fantasy football analysis. Yeah, no, it really, really is. And and people don't people don't realize like if you're just, you know, the casual fantasy fan, you know, you don't really understand just how different of a level dynasty playing in a dynasty league takes you because it's a year-round thing like you know, if you're playing in a you know a casual yahoo or espn or nfl.com league or cbs sports or whatever and it's just a redraft league yeah you know it's it's six seven months out of the year and you know it is what it is and and what but like when you're in dynasty you're paying attention to the nfl draft you're paying attention to uh, the scouting combine and you're paying attention to college football and you're paying attention to the preseason games because you want to see your rookies play in the preseason. This is your first time seeing them in pads and, and, and going full speed in preseason. And not only that, you're paying attention to training camp. I mean, I can't tell you every single day I have in uh, NFL network inside the NFL training camp pulled up <laughs> and I'm watching it every single day. And it's like, I want to hear about these guys that I just drafted in Dynasty. And Dynasty will literally, and this is, I'm not trying to be, you know, melodramatic or anything. Like, Dynasty will change your fantasy life. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a completely different way to play. And if you haven't played, please, please get into a Dynasty league because it is absolutely incredible. What I think is definitely the lure of being a Dynasty drafter as well is it's the closest you'll get to being a true NFL GM. That yes. whole experience, that really uh, hands-on, like you said, you're paying attention to the rookies. You're projecting, how will this guy do three, four years out? What's the situation that will work for these guys? So I agree with you. I think that when we talk about losing yourself in the experience, 
gain that immersion of fantasy football. I think that uh, being a commissioner in a, or being a owner in a dynasty league is the closest you'll get to that experience. Um, speaking of training camps, though, I've been keeping an eye on Hard Knocks episode one. Did you get a look at that? What'd you think? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure from a fantasy sp- uh, standpoint, I'm pretty sure CD Lamb's ADP has risen into the first round now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, seriously, though, it, it was a great episode, and and it's something that I really enjoy watching. And I know there's a lot of people that's like, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, everybody hates Dallas, uh, it seems. But it's so weird because it's like you hate certain things, but for some reason you're more driven to pay attention to it right? Like it, controversy drives like, you know, ratings and sales and things, things of that nature. Like nobody wants something that's like a British tea party. Everything's, you know, nice and proper and, and everybody's in agreement. That stuff doesn't sell. So the Cowboys, everybody hates them, but everybody's going to watch Hard Knocks. Like everybody wants to see Dax return. Everybody wants to see Zeke. Everybody wants to see CD Lamb and, and Micah Parsons, uh, the talented linebacker they took in the first round. So everybody wants to see this stuff. And, um, you know, so far it's, uh, it was, it's, it was, um, it's, it's been an excellent, you know, one episode in and, uh, plenty of F-bombs to go around. Clearly, uh, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, lack of F-bombs, uh, in, in the Dallas Cowboys training camp apparently, but you know, that's just, that's just how it is. But I love that show. I've seen every season and I just can't get enough of it. So I'm glad it's back. Yeah, it's definitely good to have great personalities. That's what really makes Hard Knocks work. So seeing CD's personality, seeing Micah Parsons really energetic out there. And then, of course, we got Jerry Jones, who's calling in on team meetings. I think that's one of the most unique things about the Cowboys experience, obviously having an owner that involved asking about Dak's throwing shoulder in a coach's meeting. I don't know. The only thing that really made me roll my eyes, though, was mojo moments. Uh, (laughs) yeah nothing like motivating a bunch of players in their early 20s with a movie that's almost as old as them if not older yeah it it really kind of calls into question you know the how long is Mike McCarthy going to be a relevant coach like we've seen sometimes you know these coaches they get out of the league and it's just their time you know it Bill Parcells couldn't could no longer relate to and of course Mike McCarthy's you know, not as old as those, as, as, you know, Parcells and Bill Cower and Bill Bellick. And, but it gets to a point where you just can really no longer relate to these guys. So that's why you're seeing this influx of these young up and coming coaches becoming head coaches, Brian Flores, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, all these guys that Nick Sirianni, like, all of these guys that are becoming these head coaches, you've got them everywhere now. And it's it's the cool, hip thing to do. And it, the NFL is a copycat league. And I think not only are they doing it because they're obviously, you know, getting the job done, you know, at the NFL level with the offense, with the defenses, but they can also better relate to these younger players coming in. And I think that's kind of a clue that Mike, Mike McCarthy probably can't do that right now. So, but we'll see how they do, you know, winning cures everything. It doesn't matter how you're getting it across. It doesn't matter what you're saying in training camp. If you're winning football games, nothing matters. Well, regardless of what the Cowboys record is, one thing that is for certain is that they are a fantasy gold mine this year. Obviously when we talk Dak Prescott, CD Lamb, Amari Cooper, and then of course, Zeke Elliott. And I guess that is going to be my perfect segue into the reason we're here to talk running backs, which oh. I know you said this is the perfect episode for you. So I'll let yeah. you expand on that. I was listening to actually your running back rankings video just now as well. And you're talking about them being the ultimate needle movers. And that's one thing I can agree with. Yeah. I mean, there's not a person listening to your show right now or any podcast that says, uh, you know, that, that even subcon, they may not even know it. 
But when somebody, when, when there's a show or an article, when there's something about running backs, that moves the needle more than quarterbacks, more than receivers, especially more than tight ends, more than IDP. Running backs move the needle. Everybody always wants to talk running back because it's the sexiest position in fantasy football. It's the most important position in fantasy football. And that's to kind of expand on what I meant by that. That is exactly why this is a, a perfect topic for me because I have been so adamant uh, in the last several shows, last couple weeks, for your draft strategy to go running back, running back, get two rock-solid, high-end, workhorse, do-it-all running backs with a high touch security uh, in the first two rounds, and maybe even in the first three. And I always say, don't go into a draft with a strategy of, well, I'm going to do this in the first round, and this in the second, and this in the third, and this in the fourth, because you're, you could possibly pigeonhole yourself if the draft board does not fall the way you think it will. It's easy to predict a draft board in the first two rounds. But once you get to that third round, throw it all out because it doesn't, you, you might say, well, I'm just going to get Clyde over to Lair in the third. But what if somebody overdrafts him in the second? And that's where he's going right now is the second. So if you planned on getting a guy like Clyde in the third, you ain't getting him there. Antonio Gibson, you're not going to get him in the second round. So that, that's what I mean. Uh, let the board fall to you starting in the third round, but go running back, running back in the first two rounds because running back one, RB1 is the position. It's not running back. It's RB1 because high-end RB1 running backs, the CMCs, the Camaras, the Derrick Henrys, the Aaron Jones and Austin Ecklers, those guys are doing it all. They're catching all, not so much Derrick Henry, but they're catching all the passes. They're taking all the carries. They have a high touch security, meaning nobody behind them in that backfield. We're, we're not worried about Justin Jackson and Josh Kelly taking touches from Austin Eckler. He, his touch security is fine. Chase Edmonds, on the other hand, for example, does not have a high touch security because we know James Conner is going to be heavily involved. So, why do you want to waste your time having an RB2 go, going receiver earlier and then winding up with your RB2 as, let's say, Chase Edmonds? And then now at the most important position in football, you have uncertainty and uh, you don't have as much security as you would uh, if you went running back, running back, and possibly three straight running backs. So I am a high advocate of that, and I've been doing it all offseason. One of my favorite combos is Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, because we know even as a rookie, Najee's going to get you know over 300 touches, total touches on the year. And if you look at all every almost every single year, look at the top 10 running backs, what do they have in common? Almost every single one of them is getting close to, they're, they're getting 270 plus uh, overall touches. And that is why Najee Harris is going to be a top 10 uh, running back in fantasy this year. And so those are the types of combos that I'm talking about. Uh, you know, going in the first two rounds. So running backs, it's been all about the running backs for me this year um, and every year, really. And so that's what I'm really trying to pound the table for. I completely agree. And I'll be pounding that table right with you. Knock on wood if you're with me. But I definitely agree that running back is the position that drives fantasy football. I always feel better about my team when I have two solidified running backs at the top of the draft, as opposed to any other form of combination, uh, regardless, 12 team, 14 team, 10 team, whatever it may be having those two running backs has me feeling a lot better about my team. So we got some tier rankings, some brand new tiers, some fresh signing tiers. That is what I'm trying out this year. Uh, so we're going to go through each one of them to explain them set and forget. So that's going to be my top tier. That's going to be the elite guys. Those are going to be those RB ones that Chris is talking about. These guys will not come out of your lineup unless severe injury or a natural disaster. You're not even touching the button to even suggest you're going to move them out of your starting lineup. The next year down is going to be quality starters. Now, these guys, 
95% of the time, they're going to be in your lineup. The only reason I'm giving you that 5% is maybe you have two of these guys that are in the same tier and you can play the matchups. Maybe there's something going on, maybe a lingering hamstring issue or nightmarish weather game. It gives that door a little bit of opening for you to potentially work around with your lineup. Matchup-based plays is basically explained in the name there, sleepers. For running backs, this is going to be a lot of handcuffs. This is going to be a lot of rookies. These are going to be guys that have the opportunity to outplay their average draft position. Um, and then the fantasy journeyman. The only reason I didn't mark this as a, just a straight up do not draft here is because I want to leave that door open for the possibility that you're in a deep league. You have multiple starting spots. You may have to start one of these guys, but I don't anticipate they'll be on your roster long. In fact, I don't anticipate they'll be on many rosters long. They'll be on multiple rosters throughout the year. And that's why I named it the Fantasy Journeyman tier. But starting first, set and forget, five names I have listed here. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, and Ezekiel Elliott. Chris, are you fine with that tier? Is there any names that you think should go on it or some names that you think should be off it? Uh, I, I do. I think there are several names that I, I would actually add to that tier, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, McCaffrey, no one's going to argue there. No one's going to argue Dalvin Cook, who is actually my number one ranked running back this year. Uh, and then, of course, Alvin Kamara as well, especially with the injuries to, to Michael Thomas. He could be a, a thousand, a thousand guy, just like David Johnson was a couple of years. Like Alvin Kamara could be, you know, that league winner. CMC could be that league winner again. Uh, these are guys that have an incredibly high ceiling and incredibly high touch security, as we discussed. Dalvin Cook as well. Ezekiel Elliott, we've seen him do it before. There's no reason to think that that's any different. And Derrick Henry is right now in the prime of his career, so there's no reason to think he's going to slow it down either. So I agree with those. I think coming from the quality starter tier, there are some guys that I think I would, I would consider set it and forget it. Uh, with the offensive line that he's working with uh, and the expectation that Quentin Nelson is going to be back uh, in that lineup uh, in week one is what it's looking like. At the very least, like maybe week two, three, four, something like that, early on in the season. Even without Quentin Nelson, the Colts have a great offensive line. So Jonathan Taylor, to me, would be set it and forget it as well. The talent for Saquon Barkley, he's probably, from a talent standpoint, probably the best overall all-around running back in the NFL. And it, it would be hard for me to, I'm kind of taking the set it and forget it pretty literal here, but it would be hard for me to go into a, a Sunday morning and say, you know what, I think I'm going to sit Saquon Barkley. Like, you say it out loud and you feel a little bit dirty about saying that. Same kind of thing goes with Aaron Jones. And then I think there's, there's a couple other guys like Austin Eckler, I think, could be a set it and forget it as well. But I completely understand where you're coming from. If I'm taking it from a literal, a more literal standpoint, there are some guys that I would put there. Uh, but when you're talking about guys that there might be tiny bit of question marks on, um, and, and you can you can just go from straight up highest tier of uh, tier one of tier one, I, I, it's really hard to argue with any of these guys. But but yeah, I mean the, the five that you have listed here, like I said, it's hard to argue. But there are some other guys I think that I would probably allow to sneak in there a little bit. Okay, well, let me expound on some of those. Uh, so Saquon Barkley, I, the reason that I kind of gave a little bit of hesitance in pushing him up to the elite tier, and by the way, I love Saquon, and I'm going to be very high on him coming into the year. Obviously, he is coming off a major knee injury. It yep. wasn't just a torn ACL. There was also some patella tendon injury in there involved as well. And the Giants offense has been very lackluster over the last couple of years. I don't know how much of an improvement Daniel Jones is going to have from year two to year three. I'm hoping it's going to be a great one as I have him as a potential fantasy sleeper in our quarterback rankings as well. But should he struggle? Should he still have those problems with that turnovers? 
I think that can only affect Saquon in a negative way, especially if there's some negative game scripts, which I guess if you're in a PPR isn't that bad because he is going to be involved in the passing game. But I do find the opportunity for Saquon to be outmatched. And certainly, like I said, if you have multiple people in this tier, you can mix and match as far as who you're starting. If you're talking about that Sunday morning decision, let's say you happen to have two guys that are lower on the list, but they have better matchups. Saquon's going against, I don't know, the number one ranked defense and Daniel Jones has looked horrible for the last three weeks. Maybe an opportunity there. Jonathan Taylor, love the guy. Led me to a fantasy championship last year and I owe a big deal of debt to the guy. But uh, like you mentioned, Quinton Nelson being out, Carson Wentz being out. It sounds like a lot of loaded boxes early against Jacob Easton and Sam Ellinger. And I think that that could potentially knock down his value a little bit. Now, as far as guys that are in the set and forget it tier that I maybe kind of wavered on, but I'm happy that I ended up settling on putting in, the, in this tier. I will say there is a little cause for concern. Yes, you mentioned Derrick Henry is in the prime of his career, but we have seen a negative trajectory of guys that have ran for 2,000 yards in their career. Uh, different true. points, but you know, back in the 20s, it is always possible. And then you mentioned too earlier, he's not that involved in the passing game. So there is opportunity for Derrick Henry to potentially take a step back. I know people are very high on his backup there. Um, spacing on the name right now, but they did say that it is possible that we could see him lose some touches this year, change an offensive coordinator from Arthur Smith to Todd Downing. I think there are some things that could potentially affect Derrick Henry this year, but at the same time, the only reason I put him instead of forget it, because going back to the, the literal definition of it, I would hate myself if I looked on a Sunday morning and Derrick Henry had that 200 yard, three touchdown game and was stiff arming 10 guys across the field. Yeah, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, obviously the yards per carry have been consistently going down, but with Dak back, I think the Cowboys offense is going to be competitive again. It's going to compete. And I think that Ezekiel Elliott is going to be one of the big beneficiaries from that because yeah, I, I think the main thing that people forget with Zeke is he was the most consistent fantasy running back over the start of his career. One of those guys that was always in the elite tier. And then last year just kind of happened and was like, whoa, is he more of a matchup based play? But I think that he could really rebound this year with having the stability at quarterback again. And those are just kind of some explanations of guys in that tier. Any more kind of uh, deliberation on set it and forget it? Uh, not really. Um, like I said, I, I think s- some of the quality starters, the, pr- the problem, I think, with some people, you know, if, if you draft Saquon Barkley, where are you drafting him? You're taking him in the first round. Jonathan Taylor, you're taking him in the first round. Uh, Aaron Jones is like very uh, back of the first you know, very beginning of the second. So when you're taking a guy at that point, if you're going in on a Sunday, here's the, the question you should ask yourself. How good are you going to feel saying, I use so much draft capital on this guy just to put him on my bench uh, when the going gets tough? Um, and, and that's really that's really kind of the only thing I, I, I think I would I would argue with guys like Barkley and Taylor and Jones and, and Eckler, of course, as well. Um, but, but look, I, I completely understand the worry with you know guys like Barkley, even Chubb, even Nick Chubb, like we've seen Nick Chubb, probably probably the best pure runner of the football in the entire league. The problem is Kareem Hunt, and why is that a problem? Because Nick Chubb doesn't catch the passes. Kareem Hunt catches the passes. So you know it, Nick Chubb's his touch security is not very high, but he still remains one of those you know in that RB one tier. He was RB eleven last year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. He even missed a couple games, I believe. So you know it's 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 really. It kind of hit or miss there, uh, but I feel like you know there are there are definitely some guys that you know you could you can move up to that first tier. But I completely understand the reason of of being skeptical, you know, on some things with Jonathan Taylor and and Saquon Barkley as well. Okay, well let's go on to the next year down. Let's go really into the quality starters tier. So we mentioned Saquon Barkley, we mentioned Jonathan Taylor. 
Also in this tier, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Antonio Gibson, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Clyde Edward Tolaire, Joe Mixon, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, Chris Carson, Daryl Henderson, and my surprise one that I think is going to really push into this tier, Trey Sermon. Um, out of this tier, are there any surprises that you may have, people that you may want to move down? Um, we already talked about who you may want to move up. Yeah, so for me, there's there's two glaring ones here that I would alter a little bit. Josh Jacobs uh, would would absolutely be a matchup base play for me, and then of course Daryl Henderson um, and, and Trey Sermon. But I want to separate Trey Sermon from those two real quick in, in just a second. I'll explain why. Uh, but Daryl Henderson, obviously, as the days go on, it does not seem that Sean McVay is joking about getting Xavier Jones more involved. And I'm starting to believe that he really is serious when he says he wants to make sure that Daryl Henderson stays healthy and stays on the field this year and he is able to monitor sort of his workload. I don't think we're going to see Daryl Henderson get a 70 or 80% snap share. I think we're looking at 60-40 at best. Whether Xavier Jones is taking that 40% almost in, complete, uh, in completion or if, if Jake Funk is going to be involved you know, in that 40% a lot along with Xavier Jones and just a, a messy three-headed backfield, it's to be determined. Either way, I'm not even necessarily excited to have Daryl Henderson as my RB3 on my team. And so he's more in that sort of Chase Edmonds tier for me because he doesn't have that that touch security that I think a lot of people thought Cam Akers was going to have before he went down. Josh Jacobs is the same way. I think we all liked Josh Jacobs because he was getting the workload. We saw him finish RB8 last year because of that workload. Well, what's the problem now? The workload, his touch security is in serious and dire trouble because Kenyon Drake has been brought to town. He has been brought there to do the exact same thing that Sean McVay is talking about doing with Daryl Henderson. It always seems like Josh Jacobs is nicked up, right? So they want to keep him on the field and as healthy as possible, but they're going to have to bring him off the field in some form or fashion. So they bring in Kenyon Drake and what it looks like Kenyon Drake's going to be the primary pass catching back. So it's going to be like a, almost like a Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt sort of dynamic over there. This is like the Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt of the RB2, you know, tier, right? And so I think we really need to look at that. And, and I have almost zero shares. I think I actually have zero shares of Josh Jacobs because of this. I'm going to take Kenyon Drake 100 times out of 10, uh, you know, significantly later on in the draft. I think he's going as like RB40 or like low 30s right now. And so you're able to get him really late as like a, a, a solid RB4, RB5 on your team. And that's something that I'm really excited about because why am I excited about getting Kenyon Drake later than I am the primary rushing running back for the Raiders earlier. Well, I'll tell you, not only is he a value later, but he's catching, like I said, he's catching the majority of the passes. What does that mean? We all know, or we should know, that on a per-touch basis, receptions for running backs matter a lot more than rushes. Why? Because if, if a running back has 10 carries in a game and then 10 receptions in a game, 10 targets in a game, how many of those targets, how many of those receptions are going for negative yards? At worst, one out of 10 of those is going for negative yards. Probably all 10 are going for at least one yard or no gain. Those rushes, you might have two, three, four of them that are for negative yards. So receptions matter and they they add to the ceiling which is why guys like Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones these primary pass catching running backs that are also the primary rushers on the team are so much more valuable than guys like Chase Edmonds and Zach Moss and and, and Devin Singletary and, and guys in in those sort of tiers so Josh Jacobs really really worries me uh this season uh and as far as Trey Sermon I love Trey Sermon there has not been really anybody 
that I've come across this year in the entire fantasy community that is driving the train for, or conducting the train, I should say, for Trey Sermon, like myself. I think Raheem Mostert always seems to be nicked up. He's 29 going on 30. They traded up in the third round to get Trey Sermon. There are two running backs in this class that fit the zone blocking scheme the best, and that was Javante Williams and Trey Sermon. Both of them went to great zone blocking scheme situations. Trey Sermon going uh, to San Francisco in that ZBS scheme to play for Kyle Shanahan, of all people, an offensive genius. So I'm all about Trey Sermon, and I think by the end of the year, I think Trey Sermon absolutely is probably going to be in this quality starter tier. But early on, maybe half the season, I think we're going to see him as the se- as the season goes along, we're going to see him eat into Raheem Moser's workload more and more and more and more, especially with Jeffrey Wilson starting the season on the pup list to mi- miss the uh, the first six games. Okay, well, let's go into one of those. Uh, so Josh Jacobs, you may have actually convinced me to move him down to matchup-based tier. And I, I didn't even think about this as I was going through it, too. Also, you have to factor in the Raiders offensive line did take a huge hit this year. And I do think that that's going to be part of the equation. Yes, you're right. He is going to miss out on third down work. Uh, First and second down, though, I do believe in the ability of Josh Jacobs. I know he's been banged up. He's been injured. I think that he his running style does fit well for a goal line scheme, though. So he is going to be more of that kind of threat to just plunge into the end zone from time to time. Even though if you look at Kenyon Drake, I believe he had double-digit touchdowns last year, and most of them came within goal line situations, but neither here nor there. I, I think that Josh Jacobs does have that ability in him. So, yes, I might waver on that one and give concede that I think he could be more of a matchup-based play. Daryl Henderson, though, as far as why I, I believe in Daryl Henderson, the talent, yes, you mentioned Xavier Jones, Jake Funk, guys that might eat into that playing time, but Daryl Henderson was one of the highest-graded players, according to PFF, last year. And uh, certainly all the hype that was going around Cam Akers, I, I think should translate onto him because I do think that this is going to be a very solid running team, a very balanced offense with Matthew Stafford in there. And I think Daryl Henderson is going to be a great beneficiary of that. He's a decent pass catcher. As far as uh, Daryl Henderson goes, he does have some opportunity to succeed in this Rams offense. And then as far as Trey Sermon, I, I just believe in the ability and I think that given some preseason games it's going to be very apparent early on that he's the better running back in the room for San Francisco Um, in terms of between the 20s I think that Raheem Mostert has the best opportunity to work but I think Trey Sermon is going to be the guy that the Niners are going to turn to certainly in goal line situations as well in the red zone and I do think that between that combination of things I think Trey Sermon is really going to assert his dominance very early on and it may not even be that much of a weight as much as people think. And then you even mentioned, great point, Jeff Wilson Jr. being on the PUP, I think is going to allow more opportunity for Trey Sermon to succeed. Uh, yeah, no, and I, I totally agree because, look, a lot of people in the, in the you know, my partner Mark on the, on the Roto Bros podcast, he's, analytics are his Bible. That's what he goes by. I use them as more of an analytical tool or a, a, more of a, 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 a peripheral tool. Than, than he does. He lives and breathe, he lives and breathes analytics, and and I'm not so much. I pay attention to them, and I and I take them into account, but I don't let it you know make all my decisions for me. Look, a lot of people in the analytics community did not like Trey Sermon because he's not he doesn't profile as extremely athletic. You know, he didn't have this amazing speed or burst score. But look, he he did have a solid spark score. Um, this is a guy. Look, he's he's not, he's not going to run a four three or four four. But look, I, I think he is. He's extremely physical. 
He knows the system. This is a good offense. This is a good team. This is a great head coach and offensive philosophy. Trey Sermon really, to me, profiles as a guy who can be a bell cow. And I know a lot of people point to his college production. Oh, he he couldn't be the guy in Oklahoma, so he had to transfer to Ohio State. He still couldn't be the guy. It was Master Teague up there. Look, he and Master Teague were more of a one-two punch than either one of them you know, being the guy. We've seen how good Trey Sermon can be. He might very well be a guy, kind of like a Derrick Henry, that gets better as the game moves along because he's going to wear the defense down with his physicality. He breaks tackles. He's tough to bring down. Look, he's going to be able to get – he's not going to break off these 60-yard touchdown runs, okay? He's not Chris Johnson, right? He's not going to be able to do that, and that's fine. I don't need my running back to do that. I, I wish that they would. But I, it's not what I need, especially when I'm a team that likes to sort of rotate backs a little bit. We'll see if Kyle still plans to do that this coming season. But I believe in Trey Sermon, and I think this was a pick that Kyle Shanahan believes in. Uh, and that's why I think that's why he traded up for him. I am huge on Trey Sermon. He's my uh, third or fourth ranked running back in this class post-draft. I'm huge on him, and I think I think it's going to take a little more time for him than it will uh, Najee and and Etienne and Javante Williams, who I also love. But eventually, I think all four of these guys are going to be just fine. I think Trey Sermon, there's a lot of people, you either love him or you hate him. There's a lot of people that hate him, but I think they're really going to regret that as this season moves along. Trey Sermon, I think, is going to be a really good football player in this league. Before we move on to matchup-based tiers, I do want to touch on Najee Harris real quick. Do you have any concern on the Steelers' revamped offensive line? Speaking of a revamped offensive line, they lost a ton of talent there. Obviously, Vanueva, Pouncey, gosh, I'm missing a name, but, you know, the middle of their interior line is all gone. I I think that that could be problematic, but I agree with you. I'm still high on the kid because I believe in the talent more than anything. The yeah. talent of Najee Harrod is, is, is astounding. And if he could get that, what we're familiar with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, that 300 touches you're talking about, then by sheer volume, he's going to succeed. What do you think of Najee Harris? And what do you say to the pushback on him? I, I think it's I think it's absolutely asinine. I think it's crazy. And And here's the thing. You just heard me say earlier, when we were talking about the draft strategy on running backs, what's my favorite combo? Eckler and Najee this year. Okay. Najee in the second round. I want to pick nine to twelve, somewhere at nine to twelve, so I can get so I can almost guarantee myself two workhorse running backs like Eckler and and Najee Harris. But everybody, and I tweeted this out the other day. So everybody, so you're worried about the Steelers offensive line, right? We all are. Don't nobody has to lie here. You know, you're driving around listening to this right now in your car. You're worried about the Steelers offensive line. I get it. But you were also worried about the Jags offensive line, right? And what happened last year? A less talented running back uh, and a significantly less talented football team on just as bad of an offensive line with uh, a, a significantly worse quarterback. What happened? It, bad coaching staff, by the way. Bad play call. What happened? James Robinson, based on workload alone, finished as RB7. Right. So all you need is that workload. James Robinson was doing everything for for that backfield. It's going to be the same thing for Najee Harris. He is going to get that 270 plus touch platform. He's going to be there. And that's why he has an excellent chance and his odds are extremely high health permitting, of course, that he finishes as a top 10 running back. I have him, I believe, as RB7, seven or eight on the year. I believe it's RB7. Almost every single year we see a rookie running back finish in the top 10. So why would we not want to take our money and throw throw down a bet 
on the rookie running back that's the only rookie running back, more than likely, that is going to get 270-plus touches. It makes no sense not to like Najee Harris. I get it. You're, you're talking about, oh, I'm going to take Nick Chubb over Najee Harris, Aaron Jones over Najee Harris. Look, I'm not going to crucify you for it. But in general, there is no reason to be scared, okay, of Najee Harris and to be apprehensive of taking him in the second round if Chubb and Aaron Jones are gone. There should be no concern about that. We have seen this happen year in and year out. Workload matters. You chase the targets with the wide receivers. You chase the touches with the, with the running backs. That is the rule. That's what you do. And Najee Harris is going to have no shortage of overall touches in this backfield. He's got an insane amount of touch security. Nobody's worried about Kalen Balage. Nobody's worried about Anthony McFarlane. Nobody's worried about Benny Snell. Those are those guys are not a concern to Najee Harris's workload. You can see it in preseason right now, if that's any indication. They want him on the field. They are going to feed him the football. We've got history on our side. We have seen this happen with two other workhorse running backs who are great pass catchers out of the backfield, James Conner and Le'Veon Bell. Bell did it for numerous years for the Steelers. James Conner was a, a high-end RB1 uh, in fantasy as well. He's done it. Najee Harris is probably a better overall running back prospect coming out than either one of those guys were. And uh, I, I, th I, don't think, I don't see any shortage of touches coming for Najee Harris's way. Do not be scared to draft Najee Harris. Draft him with the utmost confidence as if he's been doing it for six years because you chase the touches, chase that workload. Najee Harris has a high ceiling. He has a high touch security. He checks all the boxes. I get it. They lost David DeCastro as well on the offensive line, but they did put a little bit of a, a, a pretty solid Band-Aid adding Trey Turner to the offensive line. But again, the Jags offensive line was bad too. You can overcome a bad offensive line as a running back if you are getting the workload, right? So pay attention to that. It's it's not the offensive line that matters as much. It's that workload. You feed them a million times a game, they're going to get those fantasy points, right? So Najee Harris falls into that category for me. I have zero, absolutely zero concern with Najee Harris in 2021. I think what really gives me confidence in him too is the, his coach. I think Mike Tomlin, think of a way to get that offensive line fixed, patch it exactly. together. And I think that Najee, like you said, the talent's there. He's going to be there on three downs. He's not coming off the field. There's enough weapons on offense that the Steelers have between Ben Juju, uh, Claypool, and Deontay Johnson to definitely distract from the fact that Najee Harris is on the field. In fact, their ultimate declaration that Najee Harris is going to be involved is just in the draft capital alone. For the fact that they drafted him in the 20s when running backs have been a more diminished position over the last few years tells you everything you need to know about what they think about Najee Harris. Yeah, and, and, and another thing to, to kind of elaborate on that for just a second or ex uh, expand on that, you mentioned Claypool and you mentioned Deontay and you mentioned Juju. Did James Robinson have pass-catching weaponry uh, at receiver? like Najee Harris is going to have? Not no. a Hall of Fame quarterback either. Right. And why does that matter? It matters. Why does that matter? Because those are quality, proven, talented pass catchers that defenses are going to have to plan for. You are a lot more scared of stacking the box against Najee Harris when you have those three guys, okay, catching the football than you are DJ Chark and LaVisca Chanel last year, right? Okay? And James, James Robinson was still able to, to do what he did and finishes RB7 as an undrafted rookie free agent, significantly less talented than Najee Harris. That matters. So there's, uh, there is not a box 
that Najee Harris doesn't check. I don't care that he doesn't have Jonathan Taylor or Ezekiel Elliott's offensive line. He doesn't need it. He's going to get plenty of work to make up for that. Okay. I think that puts a solid, passionate close on the quality starters tier. Let's <laughs> yeah, move did, on. I sell, did I sell everybody on that enough? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I want to draft Najee Harris 101. <laughs> there we go. Let's do it. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Against all the odds. Actually, I did that kind of last year in one draft with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I don't know if I completely regretted it, but it was not the most solid decision. I, I just really liked Clyde Edwards. I was expecting more from him. Well, you better like him a lot more this year. They should have one of the best overall offensive lines after having in the league this year after having one of the worst. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, there's a reason his ADP shot up from 33 uh, back in, in April and early May, and now it's at like 14 to 17. So you can't get him in the third, fourth round like you could before. You you got to take him in the second round. He's a good pick. Le'Veon Bell's gone. I know they added uh, Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon's not a, he's not a work. Clyde Ursula is going to be a workhorse in this. In this, look, if he doesn't succeed, Clyde Ursula just isn't any good. That, that's the bottom line. He's just not as talented as we all thought he was. And maybe LSU's receiving game and passing game was were opening up a little more holes, making him look a little bit better than he actually is. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a damn good fantasy pick, even as your RB2. And if you can get him as your RB3, I mean, hats off to you. But look, they re- completely revamped that offensive line. It is going to be really good. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to have a lot of holes to run through this year. If he sees some touchdown progression as opposed to regression, I, I think that that would oh, yeah. be one of the make or breaks because there was uh, going back to week one of last year against Houston where he got stuffed three times on the goal line I, that you saw that a lot last season. And if he converts a few more of those, then that's going to put him firmly entrenched at that top end running back one uh, standards that we all expected from him coming out of LSU. Uh, moving onward, let's get into these matchup based tiers. And I already know the first name on this list is going to be one that stands out to you based off Again, listening to your <laughs> thoughts here. Uh, so matchup, DeAndre Swift, Miles Sanders, Miles Gaskins. I, I guess I'm just hating on the Miles on this one. Kareem Hunt, James Robinson, Travis Etienne, so a pair of Jaguars there. Mike Davis, J.K. Dobbins, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Ronald Jones II, Leonard Fournette, so a couple bucks, Melvin Gordon III, Damian Harris, Zach Moss, Gus Edwards, and Naeem Hines. Now, there's going to be moments in the sun for each one of these guys, I believe, throughout the year. Obviously, matchup-based tiers, if you just play it smart, if, if you're doing your job as a fantasy owner, you should be able to guess right on these guys from week to week. Now, I know the name that we're talking about here and the name that I was kind of alluding to, DeAndre Swift. So I know that you are very high on DeAndre Swift. You have him as a top 15 running back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And um, obviously, I, I guess I'm just not as sold on the Lions offense, and that explains this tier. Um, you mentioned their offensive line is going to be better. You mentioned Jared Goff isn't as bad as people think he is. But overall, I guess just an unproven commodity and Dan Campbell, what that offense is going to look like and seeing what Jared Goff looked like in a lot of games last year, just give me a lot of cause for concern with DeAndre. Yeah, so here's the thing. I want all the DeAndre Swift. Give it all to me. I want it because he is going in the third round right now. And a lot of people don't realize, look, I, I live in Georgia, okay? That's I'm a Georgia, Georgia bias. Te- <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm a Georgia Tech fan. So I hate UGA from a football fan standpoint. I hate UGA, but when I'm analyzing and scouting players, I'm not allowing any sort of bias to come through because then what good am I doing anyone? But I love, absolutely love DeAndre Swift coming out. People don't realize he is already, from an all-around standpoint, one of the best talents. I'm talking talent here, pure talent, 
at the running back position. This guy is incredible, and he can do it all. I understand people looking at Jamal Williams and getting a little scared. I get it. He's a decent pass-catching running back out of the backfield. He proved that in, in you know with the Packers. But he never stopped Aaron Jones, right? He never stopped Aaron Jones from scoring 18 touchdowns. He never stopped Aaron Jones from being the RB1, RB2 in his magical season in, what is it, 2018, I believe? Uh, 2018, 2019, he never stopped Aaron Jones from being an elite top tier running back in fantasy. Why am I all of a sudden going to think that he's that he's not going to do the same thing with DeAndre Swift? DeAndre Swift, to me, you the fact that you could get this guy who is such a, a excellent pass catcher out of the backfield, he's a he's a better receiving back than Jamal Williams. Let me go ahead and make that perfectly clear. It's not like it's Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb here. Like if DeAndre Swift was Nick Chubb not catching a lot of pass, like obviously Nick Chubb can, he's just not because Kareem's there. But if DeAndre Swift was going to be in this Nick Chubb sort of role where he wasn't going to catch the majority of the passes in the backfield, I'd be right there with you. I'd, I'd be a little worried. I have him as RB 12, 13, but I think he's anywhere from 12 to 15. There's always one of these guys that you never see that ends up as an RB1 or high-end, strong, borderline you know, RB1, RB2. I think that's going to be DeAndre Swift this year. And I think a lot of people are probably going to be surprised because they're looking at the the Lions and they're saying, all oh, the Lions suck. Jared Goff, you know, dropping down for Matthew Stafford. He's not good. Uh, yeah. I think this offensive line with Panay Sewell is obviously going to be uh, much, much better, much improved. I think that's going to be a good thing for DeAndre Swift. I do think this team is going to be losing and I think they're going to be throwing the football a lot more. They don't have a lot of quality pass catchers. Who's their number one wide receiver? Is it Rashad Perriman? Is it Tyrell Williams? Is it Quintez Cephas? Is it Amon Rasate Brown, a rookie? It's going to be TJ Hawkinson. That's who's going to lead the team in targets this year, barring hell. So for me, I think the, the sky's the limit for DeAndre Swift. And the fact that you could get a guy with this all-around skill set and workhorse uh, running back profile, that's a steal in the third round. And it, at the end of the third round, mind you, like that's where you're getting at the end of the third round, you can get DeAndre Swift, which is incredible to me. And I have been tripling up on running backs if the board falls to me the right way in the third round. And I get a guy like DeAndre Swift there while other people, you know, want to wait for Josh Jacobs. I'm going to take DeAndre Swift. Uh, I think he's going to absolutely be a, a salivating fantasy pick this year. After the fact, I think a lot of people like yourself are probably a little more apprehensive. And I, I understand it. It's not like it's, you know, Najee Harris where I can't understand it. I get where people are coming from. I just simply disagree with it. I think DeAndre Swift is going to be, I think we're talking a 70-30 workload. I, I think that's, uh, and that's at worst. I don't think we're seeing a 50-50, 60-40 split with he and Jamal Williams. I think DeAndre Swift is going to take this rock as long as he can stay healthy is going to take this rock and he is going to absolutely soar this year. So I love having him as a third round pick. Um, and I love having him as my third running back on my team and, and first running back off the bench. Okay. Well, let's talk about that duo. You kind of alluded to this name a couple times uh, throughout the pod, James Robinson. So you mentioned obviously last year, he was a surprise sensation undrafted rookie running back, bad Jaguars offense. And yet he still finishes in the top 10. This year, Urban Meyer goes out there and acquires Travis Etienne to pair with Trevor Lawrence, to pair with Clemson teammates. And it has a lot of people questioning what's going on with this backfield. Was James Robinson just going to be a smoke and mirrors act from last year? Will yep. Etienne fully take over? What's Etienne's target share going to be? Because definitely he's been out there as a slot wide receiver in OTAs. Does leave a lot of possibility for him to be a primary pass catching running back as well. What do you think we sh should expect from the Jaguars backfield and do you like either one of these guys more than the other? 
Uh, I, in fantasy, I do like Travis Etienne. Look, he's got first-round draft capital. First-round draft capital matters for running backs. Um, they're going to use him. They plan on using him a lot. He's already being used as a primary pass catcher. Here's the thing with James Robinson. I think he's good. And if I were a head coach, number one, I wouldn't have drafted a running back in the first round because I think in, in, in real life, running backs don't matter. You can find, you don't have to draft one in, in the first round. It's a waste of a draft pick. Draft him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round and you know, find that that diamond in the rough, the James Robinsons, the Philip Lindsays. They are so much more, Chris Carson, they are so much more common. Uh, you're finding one every year. Like they're so much more common than they were, you know, in yesteryear and, and decades prior. But so here's the thing, uh, James Robinson, if they are planning, if Urban, it's a copycat league. If they are planning a Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt type of split, type of backfield, if that's what he's envisioning, James Robinson could be a, an RB2. Initially, that may be what they're planning, but I feel like, I just, and this is just a guess, so we don't have any da- data to back this up, but I believe that with the first-round draft capital for Travis Etienne, I believe that as the season goes along, we're going to see Travis Etienne begin to usurp James Robinson for those early down carries and those goal line carries. I just do. And the fact, again, we, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, pass catches, receptions for running backs matter more uh, on a per-touch basis. They are more valuable than carries, than rushes. So I want the guy with the higher ceiling, the more talented player, with the higher draft capital. That's Travis Etienne. And they have a plan for him. And if they even, I like Travis Etienne better, even if he is the Kareem Hunt to, to James Robinson's Nick Chubb. But if over the course of the season, if we're going into week nine, week 10, and all of a sudden Travis Etienne, you know, is getting 15 rushes and seeing seven or eight targets in the receiving game, that's a problem for James Robinson. So for me, I'm off James Robinson completely. If you're in Dynasty and you still have some shares of him, I would probably hold him right now because his value is a little bit lower. But if he comes out the first three, four, five weeks and scores several touchdowns, looks pretty good, it is prime time to sell, baby. You have got to get him off your team. Because as this season moves along, Travis Etienne is going to be a problem uh, as long as he stays healthy. And I'm telling you right now, if that happens, if what I'm predicting happens and he takes over more of the early down work and keeps those receptions, which he will, if he does that to James Robinson and sort of relegates him to a more of a backup role, Travis Etienne is going to win people fantasy championships. He is going to win you titles because he is going to then insert himself into that tier of workhorse running backs with a massive ceiling, like Austin Eckler, like Christian McCaffrey, like Alvin Kamara. Mark and I have talked about on the Roto Bros pod plenty. Travis Etienne profiles as a guy that has that Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara ceiling. That is exactly what he profiles as because he can he can be a thousand, a thousand guy. Like he can do that, but he's going to have to get the workload. If he can relegate James Robinson by season's end or the fantasy playoffs, Boy, you are going to love having him on your team. So be patient with Travis. Even if he's not getting you as many points as Najee Harris is the first four weeks, do not panic. Hold him, hold him, hold him, because he is going to break loose at some point this year. He is going to be a problem for people in fantasy, and you're going to love that you have him on your team. Also in this tier, we do have another tough committee that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones II. These two, obviously we know how good the Bucks' offense is, it's one of the best offenses in football and certainly fantasy football. And I'm sure that each one of these guys is going to have their opportunity to succeed at points in the season. But is one going to have a better opportunity than the other? 
I don't want either one of these guys as my RB3, right? So I, I'm going after DeAndre Swift as my, my RB3. Uh, I would rather have Miles Gaskin as an RB3 because Miles Gaskin, he's not a guy that he's in this tier as well. He doesn't profile as a guy that, you know, is like Saquon Barkley. Like he's, he's not going to, he's probably, he's not going to rush for, you know, 1400 yards, but he's going to get a lot of the workload. I'm not worried about Salvin Ahmed, right? Uh, I, he's, his touch security should be fine down there in Miami. They have a good defense they're, I think they're going to do like the, uh, the, the, I think they're going to treat to a tongue of Aloha like they, like the Browns did with Baker Mayfield and they're going to build around him. They're not going to allow him to be, they're going to be a little more conservative. They're going to run the football, control the clock. So I think Miles Gaskin it can be a guy that, based on workload alone, could end up as one of those less sexy RB1s. You know, finishes RB11, RB12, and it's kind of a surprise to everybody, but he got the work and he was efficient with it. So, But I don't see that, you know, out of Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones as long as, you know, both of them are healthy together. I don't want them as my RB3. I want them as my RB4, and that's where I – if I miss out on like a guy like Kenyon Drake as my RB4 in drafts, I'm all about getting Leonard Fournette. I just did it two nights ago in a draft. I want Leonard Fournette – if I had to choose, I want Leonard Fournette over Ronald Jones because, number one, I think he's a better all-around player. He's a stronger player. Um, he's just as, as, as fast, and I, I think for me – He's the better option on the goal line as well. And he's a do-it-all type of player. We've seen Leonard Fournette be, be an efficient workhorse running back before uh, in Jacksonville. And so he's done it before. And we've seen Ronald Jones struggle with some with some lower body injuries. And that could possibly happen again. If I had to flip a coin and I got to take one of these guys, it's Leonard Fournette for me. But I don't want them as my RB3. Because here's the problem. If I draft a guy like this, like Ronald Jones or... Chase Edmonds or Leonard Fournette, uh, Zach Moss as my RB3. The problem for me is what position in fantasy football, not only is it the most important, but which position has the highest amount of turnover? Running back. Running backs get hurt at a high clip, but that's all the more reason for you to corner the market on these important workhorse guys early on in the draft. Because if, if I draft Najee Harris, Austin Eckler, and DeAndre Swift, and DeAndre Swift gets hurt, or Austin Eckler gets hurt, guess who's my RB2? DeAndre Swift. Is DeAndre Swift a better RB2 than Chase Edmonds? You bet your ass he is. So I, I absolutely want uh, that that security at running back, and I don't feel like I get that with guys like Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. But look, if I get ravaged with injuries and there's nothing I can do about it, and I have to put Leonard Fournette in a bi-week flex position, I feel pretty decent about it on this high-octane offense that's going to score a lot of points where Leonard Fournette is probably going to be the main guy uh, for goal line carry. So it's between the two of them. They're not sexy. Nobody's really talking about them. But when it comes right down to it and they're on the board, if I have to take one, it's absolutely going to be Leonard Fournette. And another underrated thing to throw in there just here at the end too, Giovanni Bernard also got signed by the Bucks this offseason. So if you're talking about pass catching work, you have to imagine Gio is going to get some uh, play in that as well. Okay, any last touches on the matchup-based tier that you want to go over? Any last people that you want to shout out? Uh, I mean, I think Zach Moss has a has a, a a chance to really surprise some people in the second year. The problem is how much work is Devin Singletary going to get? We already know Devin Singletary is just a guy. He's not uh, he's not going to be a, 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 a an alpha running back in this league. I think Zach Moss can be, um, but e there is a problem with Zach Moss. Even if he is able to completely relegate Devin Singletary to the backup role full time, the problem with Zach Moss does become well. On the goal line, what does Josh Allen like to do? He likes to take those goal line carries. So those are going to be goal line carries taken away from Zach Moss. That's kind of what my issue is with J.K. Dobbins as well. 
who is also in this tier. There's probably not a bit outside of Columbus, Ohio. There's probably not a bigger JK Dobbins fan on the planet uh, than, than I am. The problem is from a fantasy standpoint, I have to take my bias out of it. And I have to really think about this. You know, JK Dobbins, his upside is capped. Not only does he play on a team with Lamar Jackson, he also plays on a team with Gus the Bus. Gus Edwards is not going to be relegated to the bench full time. This is going to be a 60-40 type of split, I believe. 65, you know, type of split. And I think that Gus Edwards is going to get his fair share as long as he's healthy. And I think if you're taking J.K. Dobbins as your RB2, you might want to think a little bit more about that. And I think I'd be okay with J.K. as my three. But man, that's a dice roll. That is a dice roll because I just don't know what I don't think J.K. Dobbins, again, touch security. It's important to, to, to remember. I don't think his touch security is, is that high. So guys like that, I think, have a chance to really make some noise. But again, their, their quarterbacks can be a problem for them as well. I tell you, Kareem Hunt is one that I battled on moving him into the quality starter tier as well, mostly because of how prolific I think the Browns are with the run game. Um, for the record, though, I will dispute you on one thing here. Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb isn't the prototype. That goes to Mark Ingram and uh, Alvin Kamara. You know, who copied who first, I'm saying. Well, that's true. That's true. They are, they are the OGs of, of that particular sort of – we've had a lot of thunder and lightning. The D'Angelo Johnson. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Lindale White and, and uh, you know, uh, we had, uh, you know, uh, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Tan. So this isn't the first, you know, thunder, lightning, Matt, but – the 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 last modern one that 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 profiles like this, you're right, was was uh, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, and it, it obviously worked well for both. They were both rock solid, productive running backs. Um, with Kareem Hunt, look, keep him in the matchup based plays right now. I get it, but let me tell you something: Nick Chubb gets hurt, Kareem Hunt to the moon, to the moon like doggy coin, exactly, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> Doge coin. How do you say it? Actually, I, I don't think I've I've heard people it, meme it, but never I've say heard it. I've. I've heard people say doggy coin. I've heard them say uh, uh, dog coin. It is Dogecoin. It is Dogecoin. Okay. Elon, pump up Kareem Hunt to the moon. <laughs> anyway, uh, sleepers here. So this one, this one, like I mentioned, it's a lot of rookies. It's a lot of handcuffs. Guys, the situation is really dependent on things that are maybe outside of their control. Uh, Javante Williams is the headliner here. For, I know for you, you mentioned his name a couple times. Michael Carter, AJ Dillon, Kenyon Drake. Devin Singletary, as you mentioned, just a guy. Tony Pollard, obviously stepped in well whenever Zeke's gone down. Latavius Murray, Alexander Madison, and Philip Lindsay. So you mentioned Javante Williams. You've mentioned that you think that he could just take over this backfield entirely regardless of what's going on with Melvin Gordon. I want to touch on that? 100%. Yeah, I think, look, I, I mentioned earlier we were talking about Trey Sermon. There were two running backs in this draft who were the two, the two best running backs for a zone-blocking scheme. Both of them, Trey and Javante, both went to situations where they're going to be in the ZBS scheme. Javante Williams, let me tell you, is a problem for Melvin Gordon. And he could be a problem as early as the very first snap of week one. Javante Williams is good. Very, very good. Now, Michael Carter's good as well. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, if Javante Williams is good, then why did he split so many snaps with Michael Carter? Well, in college, you have to look at it. You know, Mac Brown and at, at, at UNC, he understood he had two very high quality, talented running backs in the backfield. So when that happens, Pete Carroll did it with Lindell White and Reggie Bush. It, it happens all the time. Just because one guy is not getting 90% of the workload does not mean the other guy 
is is bad or that this guy's bad. He understood he's got all that talent in the backfield. Why not keep them fresh and allow them to use it? And he did that. Javante Williams, to me, is the third best overall running back in this draft. And I think he has a chance. Najee is the RB1 for the rookies. But I'm telling you right now, if anybody's going to outscore Najee Harris, I think it is going to be Javante Williams in year one. Melvin Gordon's still there. I get it. But we can tell the wheels are starting to, to rust. They're starting to fall off for Melvin Gordon. It's almost time. He's becoming less efficient. He's becoming uh, worse of, a, 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 of an option in that backfield to take a lot of the work. Javante Williams, they do it all running back in a scheme that fits him. This is going to be more of a run-heavy offense, I believe now, especially with Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke there. Um, they're going to rely heavily on this guy, and I think he is going to be in the mix heavily week one. I'm not saying he's going to be the starter in week one, okay? I'm not saying that. I don't think he will be, but I think between guys like Travis Etienne, Trey Sermon, Michael Carter, I think we're going to see Javante Williams take just as much, if not more, of the snaps in the backfield in comparison to their backfield mates than all the other rookies as well. I, I think he's right up in there. Um, and I think to me, by week eight, nine, I think it's going to be clear, if not even before that, Javante Williams is is the featured running back in this backfield now. Overall, handcuffs, how do you feel about them? I know there's a lot of people that ride and die with the handcuff strategy. And then there's a lot of people that uh, basically see it as just a waste of a roster spot trying to lock down one specific backfield. How do you feel about it? I'm kind of more on the latter side. Listen, if you are handcuffing your own running backs, you are doing yourself an, an injustice. This is important, and I cannot, I cannot stress this enough to people that are listening. If you take anything from this podcast, if you take anything from the words that I'm saying, take this. Do not handcuff your own running backs. It is an idea that sounds like butterflies and gummy bears on the surface. It is not a good idea when put into practice. And you say, oh, well, why shouldn't I draft Latavius Murray? Or here's a better example. Why shouldn't I draft Devin Singletary if I draft Zach Moss? Shouldn't I draft Devin Singletary? No, you shouldn't. Here's why. We have already seen. What do we know about Devin Singletary? Have we read the book on Devin Singletary? Yeah, we know how that story ends. You don't need to read it again. You already know. It has been established that Devin Singletary is not, he's just a guy. He's not going to be an efficient fantasy asset to you if Zach Moss goes down. It, it won't matter. So, and I have perfect example of this, of, of, this, uh, of what, I'm, what I'm trying to explain here in, in a draft that I did a few months ago. It won't matter that you have Devin Singletary if Zach Moss goes down, if you, if you also own Zach Moss. It won't matter because you're not going to get any you know, efficient fantasy production from Devin Singletary anyway. So why not cuff another player's running back, another owner's running back, with a higher upside, right? Why not draft Kenyon Drake in the same uh, ADP tiers, if you will, as Devin Singletary? Why? Because we already know that Kenyon Drake uh, is going to take this vacuum of targets in the receiving game. He is going to be a difference maker whether Josh Jacobs is healthy or not. And if Josh Jacobs gets hurt and Zach Moss get hurt, which handcuff do you think you'd rather have? It's going to be Kenyon Drake because we've seen Kenyon Drake be a much bigger difference maker in fantasy when he is given the rock. He's much more efficient than Devin Singletary. So it doesn't make any sense to handcuff your own running back. I don't care if it's Tony Pollard. 
I don't care if it's Alex Madison, and I don't care if it's Latavius Murray. Draft someone else's running back, because guess what? Yes, if your running back gets hurt, not only does drafting other people's running backs help your upside on your bench, okay? And not only is it more valuable of a, of a draft pick to make, it also, the reason it's more valuable is because if your owner has Alvin Kamara, okay, let's say, and you have Latavius Murray, and all three or four of your running backs are still healthy, guess what? You just added a fifth starter on your bench, as opposed to having the same amount of running backs on your team, the same amount of starters on your team. If you drafted Alvin Kamara and he gets hurt, and you also draft Latavius Murray, you didn't add a starting running back. I get it. If you don't handcuff anybody else's running backs, or you don't handcuff your own running backs, and Alvin Kamara gets hurt, and you don't have Latavius Murray, okay, well, you lost one, okay? But you still have a guy like Kenyon Drake on your bench who can come in and do better probably than what Latavius Murray would anyway. So you're capping your upside. I'm do. I I'm fine with handcuffs as long as it's for another team and not your own. Well, very well spoken. And certainly I do think that having that leverage too on your opponents as well should the worst happen in case of injury, I think is definitely valuable in a fantasy season. I would say, hell, my favorite handcuff, though, is just having a starter. Even if it's a starter on a bad offense, I think sometimes that's more valuable in having that roster spot than, especially when you have limited benches, than, you know, just pigeonholing yourself into having just a handcuff that may just never even get on the field at any point during the year. Um, the last year up, Fantasy Journeyman. So these are just guys that I, I just don't really have much faith in. They're in the top 50 average draft position right now. James Conner, I know, is one that you've mentioned. You mentioned he's going to get involved in the Arizona offense. I just don't really buy into James Conner at this point. I think that he looked a little bit slow last year in Pittsburgh. He just didn't really, I don't know, have the juice. We know his injury history. I don't want to be involved in the James Conner sweepstakes. Uh, Jamal Williams, again, he's going to be pesky. He's going to be involved in that Lions offense. But I'm, I'm not really going to be targeting Jamal Williams much. J.D. McKissick. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's the new starter, obviously, in Washington, and he doesn't have a great history of necessarily targeting or getting involved running backs out of the backfield in the passing game, and that's where J.D. McKissick tends to live and breathe, so I'm not buying high on him. And then Marlon Mack coming off a torn Achilles, third running back on that roster. Overall, it just seems like a very lackluster uh, draft pick for me. Yeah, so Marlon Mack, no running back. Uh, this is this is NFL history. You should see the the and this is kind of goes to Cam Akers as well. No running back, nearly pretty much in NFL history, has ever come back from a ruptured or torn Achilles and gone on to be a reliable fantasy asset. None of them. Uh, you, Deontay Foreman it, it was the most recent before Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack was the most recent before Cam Akers. Cam Akers is the most recent. So that's why I'm telling everybody to sell Cam Akers while they can. There is a laundry list of guys. Beanie Wells is in that. Uh, a guy that was set years ago. A lot of people remember this name back in tw- uh, 2009. I loved him coming out. Give, he was being given the workload early on to be the workhorse running back that the Lions needed since Barry Sanders. Mikel LaShore, absolutely drooling prospect out of Illinois. I absolutely love Mikel LaShore. Rusher's Achilles was never the same. I think he had three carries the next year or something like that out of the league. Like it is a death blow for running backs in the ruptured Achilles. I'm not worried about Marlon Mack for Jonathan Taylor's value. I'm not concerned about Marlon Mack whatsoever. 
much more concerned about Naeem Hines. He'll he'll be that that pass. Marlon Mack does not catch passes. You can go back and look. He just doesn't catch passes. Jonathan Taylor does it all, and Naeem Hines catches the passes. There is no puzzle here where Marlon Mack fits unless Jonathan Taylor gets hurt. So Marlon Mack, you could completely forget about. If I told you, if I asked you rather, which running back led the NFL last year in targets? Give me two guesses. Who would be your two guesses? Oh, gosh. Last year in targets, um, obviously some of the big players are hurt last year in terms of pass catching ability. Um, I would say probably Alvin Kamara would be one of my top picks there. Okay. And let's see. I, I'm assuming it's probably someone in this tier. Uh, is it going to be J.D. McKissick? J.D. McKissick. Renowned generational talent. J.D. McKissick, he said sarcastically, was leading, led the NFL in targets from the running back position with 110. Alvin Kamara was second with 107. And that was the the, ne- the third highest was Naeem Hines at 76. So you see where that that at least I got Kamara drop. right there. And then I, I see what you're doing there. Just you, my you got Alvin there. on JD McKissick there. But yeah, yes. man, like I, anyway, go ahead and expound on your point and then I'll yeah, so J.D. McKissick, I'm not saying J.D. McKissick is going to do this again. Don't get me wrong. That's not where I'm getting at with this. But what I'm getting at is he could be a problem. There is a range of outcomes where he is a problem in the receiving game. This big, a 110-target problem in the receiving game for Antonio Gibson. And we all know Antonio Gibson profiles as an alpha running back, uh, a guy that could break fantasy, win you your league. He could be, uh, you know, the the RB1 overall in fantasy. In order to do that, he is going to need to relegate J.D. McKissick to the bench on passing downs. Last year is not a good indication that that is going to happen. Ryan Fitzpatrick's there. Doesn't really drop off to running backs that much. We know that. We'll see what happens. It's not out, you know, dump off Alex Smith anymore. We'll see what happens here. But that is something to keep in mind. I love Antonio Gibson. He's in my, he's like top 13 running back for me this year. I think he, for the most part, I think he will relegate JD McKissick. But when you're drafting J, uh, Antonio Gibson or trading for him, you need to keep that in mind because JD McKissick obviously is a threat. Uh, a, this isn't just a guy that caught, you know, 50 passes. He had, he was targeted 110 times. He caught 80 of them. Okay. He caught 80 of them. He was second to only Alvin Kamara in total catches. So targets, he was number one in the NFL. So keep that in mind as well. But to to JDM himself, I'm not worried about him. I'm not drafting him. I'm not concerned. Uh, Look, if he's on your waiver wire and you got a free bench spot on a deep bench, okay, whatever. You could take the chance. Uh, Again, he could be a handcuff to uh, the Antonio Gibson starter, right? Handcuff other people's running backs. But I'm not really concerned with James Conner. We don't even know. If Chase Evans is going to be the RB1, we don't know. That's the problem. There is no touch security for James Conner or Chase Edmonds. That's why I don't want to mess with this backfield. I've sold all my shares. I don't want it unless I am getting one of these guys as my RB4. I don't want them as my RB3, but if they're the fourth running back on my team, look, I can deal with that, right? In a Cliff Kingsbury offense, they run a lot more than people think. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be fine with that. The problem is, who's it going to be? We've seen James Conner be a workhorse when healthy. We've seen him be an efficient efficient running back workhorse when healthy. He could absolutely be the the, the RB1, the leader in this backfield over Chase Edmonds. 
and he's going significantly later. So you might want to think about James Conner. He's probably the guy on, he's definitely the guy on this list uh, under this fantasy journeyman column that, that I would take over any of the, you know, Jamal Williams, JD McKissick and Marlon Mack. That's for sure. No, I, I think that James Conner will have occasional upside, but man, I, I just tell you, it's been multiple years since we saw that healthy uh, yep. workhorse, yep. James Conner. And <laughs> I think at this point, I'm just selling all shares. But the reason, again, I didn't name this column, just do not draft is I respect that every league is different. Every league has opportunity. Every league has deep benches. And these people, like I said, are just going to be passed around multiple benches. They're going to be the puff, puff, pass column basically as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> All right. Well, perfect. That's a lot of information. Hopefully, if you're going into your drafts, you use it accordingly to bust the slump and win your league. But Chris also has other expertise, and that pertains to our division breakdown series. So we are turning our attention this time to the NFC South. Uh, as always, starting from the bottom, working up to the top, the last place finisher in this division, coincidentally, is Chris's Atlanta Falcons. Last year, they finished Four and 12. This year, I have the Falcons finishing seven and 10. So modest improvement, obviously new coach in town, traded away Julio Jones, which is one of the big names in the offseason. Overall, this team, I think they're just middle of the pack right now. I, I don't think they're doing anything truly exceptional. I, I love Matt Ryan to death, but I, I just can't see them as a playoff team this year. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine them as a playoff team. Could they take that 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 leap? Yes, they could. I'll, I'll tell you why they could. We'll start off there. They could because Carolina probably didn't get all that much better. I understand Christian McCaffrey's coming back, yes, but they're still probably not going to be a very good football team. They're not going to make the playoffs, right? They're going to be bo- battling for the for the seller in this division. We know the Tampa's winning the division. We know that. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. We're talking about a wild card spot here, okay? They did expand the NFL playoffs, so there is an added wild card in each conference. So there is a, a bit of a bigger window for the Falcons. I do expect them to finish second in this division. I don't expect them to make the playoffs, but I do expect them to finish second. Drew Brees no longer with the Saints. I don't trust Taysom Hill and uh, Jameis Winston to lead them to very many wins. I do think the Falcons, even though they lost Julio Jones, I do think that Kyle Pitts is going to be, look, he's the, he is the greatest tight end prospect we've ever seen. Like we've seen guys from a physical standpoint come out and, and sort of, you know, be a little, uh, a little compared to, to, to him. Even Jacob Harris this year, who went in the, uh, the fifth round, I believe uh, by the Rams physically compares to Kyle Pitts. Noah Fant physically compares to Kyle Pitts. Uh, Vernon Davis from yesteryear compares to Kyle Pitts. But on the field and putting it all together, we have never in the history of the NFL seen a tight end prospect with the ceiling and the ability and the all-around skill set and talent of Kyle Pitts. So this is a next-generational type of player, and I think he's going to be an instant impact player from day one. I think we've seen the learning curve for rookies at tight end be a problem. This isn't just your Max Williams, Hayden Hurst uh, type of you know first-round tight end. This is a totally different animal and a totally different beast than we're talking about with Kyle Pitts. I, I don't think it's going to take him long at all to be an instant impact player. And I think in the first preseason game, we're going to see Kyle Pitts do some special stuff. So I think that's going to help kind of take the take off the blow from from losing Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley, obviously, uh, one of the best young, arguably the best young running back uh, or best young wide receiver, I should say, in the NFL. And look, Matt Ryan, say what you want about him, but he's been a pretty reliable 
uh, starter as well. He's been a high-end starter. He's a very good quarterback. The problem, I think, is going to be that offensive line. They're going to have to be able to run block for Mike Davis and Kadri Allison. They're going to have to pass block for Matt Ryan. We'll see how that shapes up. That's going to be the key. And obviously the defense as well. Now, the good thing for the Falcons' defense is that defensive coordinator Dean Pease came out of retirement. That is huge. From a real-life standpoint, that is huge for the Falcons. So he should at least, this defense, this, it's good. they're going to be better than they were last year. It's hard to be worse. They're going to be improved. How improved, that's going to be the question mark here. I do think they are going to be a better defense. They're going to tighten it up a little bit. It's still probably not going to be all that good, but they've got to gener- try to generate some pass rush as well. That has been a problem since the, since the John Abraham days. They just haven't been able to do that outside of the Super Bowl season with, with Vic Beasley, and obviously that was a one-year one year wonder. So I like the Falcons this year to, to be in sort of that sort of six, seven, eight win range, but I don't think they're getting a wild card spot, but I do believe that they finished second in this division. Here's what I do think is something looking on the bright side for the Falcons. The last couple of years, they've been troubled by a terrible start to the season. Looking at their early schedule this year, they faced three NFC East teams, faced the Jets. They just have one tough game against Tampa. So they have an opportunity to get off to a hot start. And if they can do that, that may set up them well for the rest of the season. Moving on to the next team in the division, the Carolina Panthers. Uh, so new rule started last year as head coach Matt Rule came to town. Uh, they were 5-11 and 11 last season. This season, I have them finishing no better than 6-11. and 11. And I just don't have that same confidence in Sam Darnold that uh, they seem to have over there. Yes, I think Joe Brady is going to be an improvement for him. But when you just look at the career stats, uh, even with Adam Gase included in that, is he really that much better than Teddy Bridgewater? Is he really that much better? I don't know how much of an improvement that is for this team. One bright side is if Christian Caffrey is back on the field healthy, I do think that that is going to help them a ton. But I, I just don't see them making that much of a leap. Again, a one-game improvement this year. The Panthers, yeah, I, like you said, I, I don't see much improvement from them overall. Yeah, I've been asking that question on several of our podcasts uh, this offseason. How sure are we that Sam Darnold is any better than Teddy Bridgewater? Are we sure that he's even better at all? Like, he might actually be worse than Teddy Bridgewater. It is entirely possible. Are we sure that it's just Adam Gase? Obviously, Adam Gase was the biggest, uh, uh, you know, Clown. <laughs> soggy pu- puzzle piece, uh, you know, soggy piece of the puzzle. He was, yeah, the biggest clown. But are we sure that it was just him? I'm not certain. And I don't think he, I don't think he was the only problem. I don't think Sam Darnold is that good. I don't think Sam Darnold is any better than a high-end backup quarterback in this league. I think he's a journeyman bridge quarterback of the Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh uh, uh, McCown, Teddy Bridgewater mold. I I don't think he's going to all of a sudden flip his career around three, four years into it, and he just becomes a fantasy and and real-life dynamo. Like, I just don't. I love Joe Brady. I wanted Joe Brady to be the head coach of my Falcons. But I don't think that's going to be enough to turn Sam Darnold into this amazing quarterback that we thought he was, that a lot of people thought he was going to be coming out of USC. I don't see it. And I look, I'm right there with you. Five and 12 now, I think. 
six and eleven because the the extra week, the five and twelve, the 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 six and eleven sort of uh, you know record there. Yeah, I'm with you. Five to six wins. That's it. And they're yeah. they're 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 probably probably going to be last in the division. That I mean, maybe third. I could give you third. Because of McCaffrey being back, I love the addition of Terrace Marshall. I think a very underrated addition on that passing game uh, in the passing offense is going to be Dan Arnold, a physical freak of a pass catcher at tight end. But but man, like there's nothing to get excited about here. I, I'm I'm sorry. Like from a real life standpoint, I I don't think he's going to be any better than than Teddy Bridgewater was. It, it this does not elevate the offense to me. And early reports to uh, training camp are saying that he hasn't looked that great. So I think that. If you're a Panthers fan, that's just a huge cause for concern. Hell, they're still keeping an eye on Deshaun Watson. That tells you everything you need to know about Sam Darnold. Moving on to the next team in the division. Last year's second-place finisher, but, of course, the Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last year, they finished 11-5. and Of course, like I mentioned, uh, won the Super Bowl in dominating fashion over the Kansas City Chiefs. This year, returning all 22 starters, the first time that's ever been done in NFL history, I had the Buccaneers going 13-4. and it just that consistency, Tom Brady, the weapons, you just look around the team, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, it, it just, Bovante David and White on the other side, they just it's are insane. so well put together that even on Bruce Arians' worst coaching day, I don't, I don't think they can do no wrong. And I think this season, they're going to be able to really establish who they are. Yeah, I, this team is not going to have a problem winning games. They brought back all 22 starters. That is unheard of. Like, this team is going to be absolutely nasty. The only thing that you could really improve this team on is at running back. You could get a better running back. But, my God, I mean, Fournette, behind the offensive line, Fournette and Ronald Jones are a one-two punch that is fine. You add Giovanni Bernard if he ends up making the team. That's a that's a three-headed backfield that I'm plenty satisfied with if I'm Bruce Arians. Like, I don't need a Najee Harris. I don't need to draft a guy like that. Uh, I don't need to go out and sign Le'Veon. But, like, I'm fine with that. This team has no weakness. They are the easy favorites to repeat as the Super Bowl champions. And it's going to be easier said than done. You, we barely ever see that happen. But, man, I, I mean, they could win... 14, 15 games. It's insanity to think about what this team can do. Um, they're terrifying. They are absolutely terrifying, and they're going to rip through this division uh, like a hot knife through butter. It's it's not going to be close. Some people have been even so ballsy as to put them as 17-0. and 0. I, That's too rich for my blood there. I, I think it's a long season, no matter yeah. the continuity. Tom Brady, he knows at this point. They always start slow in September, and I do have them losing a couple of early games, but then just, again, settling into their mold, settling into the talent on that roster. The Buccaneers... They're just going to be good again. I, I don't know if they're going to win, repeat the Super Bowl, like you mentioned. It's a parody-filled league, but the fact that there's no parody on that roster, it, it just really sits well with them. Closing it out then. So you already kind of spoiler alerted what you think of this team. Last year, the New Orleans Saints finished 12-4. and four. Drew Brees is obviously retired. Turnover at the quarterback position for the first time in a lot of years out there in New Orleans. Yet still, I actually have this team going 11-6. and six. And Maybe I'm just buying wow. into Sean Payton. Maybe I just like the top-end talent of this. But if Jameis Winston could come in and not turn over the ball 30 times, I think that this team will still be able to win games. And I think the way Sean Payton has designed the offense will make it easier for Jameis. Even in just that one play, obviously, coming in against the Bears in the playoff game last year, 
you saw the talent still there, the arm. Jameis has the ability. He's just never really lived up to him. I know he's in this quarterback battle right now with Taysom Hill, which, I mean, if you listen to Sean Payton, he'll tell you it is a legit battle. But I don't believe in it. I think Jameis Winston is going to be the starter. I think he's going to have a renaissance season there. And I think the New Orleans Saints, again, they're very top-heavy. So if any of these pieces go down, if Michael Thomas is truly off this roster at some point, then that is concerning. But I just have a little bit more faith in the coach and what's going on in New Orleans. If the government would allow me to not pay my taxes, I'd make a lot more money. But just like taxes, interceptions are going to happen for Jameis Winston, and there's going to be a lot of them. Like, I, that is not a dice I can roll personally. You're a lot more optimistic. I was not expecting 11 wins. I was expecting maybe seven or eight, and I was like, okay, I can forget. But like 11 wins, that's all, even without Michael Thomas for probably what's going to be half the season, because a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, he got the surgery. He'll probably miss, you know, probably start the season on the pup, miss the first six games. But we've got to realize he's a good football player, but it also, he's not just going to come out right on the field and boom, instantly be the same Michael Thomas. It's going to take a couple weeks to get back into football shape, get back up to speed, and gain a little more chemistry with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. And another thing that I don't like, and I cannot stand it about the Saints this year, they are going to use that godforsaken 2QB system, and it is going to be a thorn in their side. It does not work. I get it. You want to bring in Taysom Hill to be like a weapon. That I don't mind. If you want to split him out wide and put him in the backfield or you know, bring him in on the goal line and throw like jump passes like Tim Tebow at Florida was, I get that. That's fine. I'm not going to argue there. But if you're going to be playing in between the 20s and you're going to give on a, on – any two series, you're going to give Jameis 12 snaps. Uh, Taysom Hill gets nine. Like, that's a problem for me. You can't have this. You got you to gotta be committed to one guy. You're not going to have a good chance to win when you've got two guys that throw the football much differently, mind you. You are having your the – the reason it doesn't work, you are having your receivers and tight ends and even your running backs have to get recalibrated for a different quarterback every single time you switch him out. So look, if you're giving Jameis the ball, you know, if he's getting 90% of the snaps, that's fine. But you didn't, the problem is you didn't pay Taysom Hill like he's going to get 10% of the snaps. You pay Taysom Hill like he's going to be the full-time starter. That's another problem I have. If he's the full-time starter, I don't believe in him that he's going to be good enough to allow this passing offense to flourish. If it's me... Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna swallow the knife and say, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of interceptions with Jameis Winston, but he is gonna he's gonna establish a downfield threat for Adam Troutman, who I think is the biggest beneficiary for the Michael Thomas uh, injury. Uh, Marquez Callaway, I think, is is probably second on that list, and then of course Traquan Smith. He's gonna establish a reliable downfield passing game for this team if that's what they want to do. Taysom Hill, to me. That's just playing with fire. I'm I'm not big on the Saints this year at all, and I think this is going to be a crash and burn experiment if they give Taysom Hill a either majority or a high amount of snaps as opposed to Jameis Winston. The reason I really don't like that, though, I will say is I feel like the idea of starting Taysom Hill too is it takes away from Taysom Hill's best attribute coming in and uh, shifting around the offense or shifting around the defense to have to adjust. 
So I, I feel as though why they Jameis will overall win this is just um, basically you don't want to take away the best thing you got going with Taysom Hill. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I understand the concerns. I understand Jameis Winston will definitely have his mistakes and his boneheaded decisions throughout the season. But I guess I'm just banking on the LASIK surgery, man. I'm banking on these weird training routines he's doing, chasing dogs, running around mailboxes, scaring the neighborhood <laughs> children, whatever he has to do to become a quality quarterback in the National Football League. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess, who knows? To agree to disagree. This is just one of those things I think the New Orleans Saints are still going to be able to compete this year more than people think. I mean, hell, Drew Brees didn't even have his best season last year, and they were still uh, the division winners. So if they can take an improvement at the quarterback position in terms of what Drew Brees was last year to the potential that we may still see in Jameis Winston, or at least I still see in Jameis Winston, then I think that that will be what keeps the Saints viable in 2021. But all right, Chris, I think that closes it out. We covered a lot of topics, a lot of running backs, the NFC South. How are you feeling, man? I feel feel great. This was a blast, man. I'm really glad that we were able – you know, to do this again. I hope we're, we're able to do it again during the season. I know kind of COVID last year threw a wrench into the gears for a lot of people and even a lot of podcasts, uh, you know, as well, because we didn't know what was going on with the season and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, you guys, obviously, you do an excellent job. And so I'm um, happy to be here, thrilled uh, to have to, 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 you know, to ha- for you to have me on. And, and I can't wait to do it again. I hope it's, I hope it's a lot sooner, you know, than a, than a year removed uh, like it is this time. So, uh, like I said, always a blast to come on with you, man. Hey, we got three shows a week now, so you know we're, we need some guests. So you will be getting there that we go. call. Just keep keep your eye on the phone there. Keep your eye on the dial. But all righty, Chris, you mentioned you have a lot of stuff that you have to plug, a lot of uh, fun projects that will help fantasy owners win their league throughout this year. So why don't you touch on them? Tell us what the Roto Bros are up to these days. Yeah, so obviously you can catch the Roto Bros. We, uh, we host our own podcast, myself, my partner, Mark Wimkin. Uh, you really get the Roto Bros podcast is cool because you get it's unlike any other fantasy podcast. There's nobody else doing it like us. It's it's unique because you're getting two different views on the game. And and we don't just disagree to be entertaining and to be interesting. We firmly disagree because we truly disagree. It's not any nothing is fabricated, nothing's made up. He is a diehard uh, analytics guy and I'm not. And so it makes we see the game through two different lenses. So the show itself uh, is just, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, amazing in and of itself. But what we also have going on is we have what's called what we've dubbed the Roto Bros Fantasy Advice Lounge. And we host that on Discord. And what it is, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Roto Bros. You can sign up. Uh, there's two tiers. There's a silver tier for $2 and a, uh, a gold tier for $5. Both tiers are going to get you access into the Roto Bros Fantasy Advice Lounge. The gold tier is going to get you some extras. You're going to get some after-party, uh, we, we dub them after-party podcasts that we do throughout the year and every week. And so those are more uncensored, unfiltered sort of podcasts that are patron-only. They're not released to the public. It's only for uh, for uh, patron members. Uh, you're going to get Mark's snaps and targets report every week. You're going to get my NFL draft scouting briefs in the offseason. And if you play DFS, you're going to get a weekly DFS pod from Joe Pollock and Mark Wimkin as well. And speaking of DFS, if you're a big DFS player, we have a DFS channel in the Roto Bros Fantasy Lounge. We have a channel for everything, best ball, season long in all three sports. And we have a DFS channel and we have plenty of other channels as well. It is the best place to get advice, give advice, find a league to join, 
find an owner to take over a team in your league, and just to pretty much just kind of hang out all day long, bored at work, jump into the fantasy lounge, and talk fantasy, talk general sports, talk beer, talk whatever you want. We've got a channel for everything, so it is the best hidden gem and the most affordable hidden gem in all of fantasy, and the best part is everyone gets a free month. Every, you sign up, you get a free month, you're instantly going to get your money sent back to you. If you don't love it, you cancel. But we have not had a single person cancel in the two years we've been doing this um, or ask for their money back in the two years that we've been doing this. Uh, everybody loves it, and it is absolutely growing very, very fast, and it is amazing on game days and even throughout the offseason. So check it out, patreon.com forward slash Roto Bros, the fantasy advice lounge hosted by the Roto Bros. You will not regret it. All right, Slump Busters, you heard it from him. Roto Bros, check it out. Roto Bros on Discord, Fantasy Lounge, all the projects that Chris is working on. Like I said, we're definitely going to work to get this guy back on here during the season. Hopefully, maybe go on to Fantasy Lounge, steal some advice, and hopefully beat him in the Podcaster League. But stay tuned for that. Check us out at Slump Buster Podcast on IG, at Slump Buster Pod on Twitter. Don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP at CavemanCoffeeCo.com. Caveman Coffee Co., home of delicious cold brew coffee from Albuquerque, Mexico. Promo code SLUMP. Uh, Stay safe, happy, and healthy, Slump Busters. And we'll see you next time.